All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Where If You Take You podcast. We are Kayla and Aaron, and we are very excited to be here. Um, this is our second take at this because I messed up the first one. So, um, Kayla is a professional triathlete, <laughs> coach, and mom of two boys. And Aaron is an elite amateur triathlete, swim coach, and triathlon coach for Where Your Feet Take You. So, once again, um, thank you for joining us and welcome to podcast number eight. Probably should check that instead of just guessing all the time. Um, <laughs> I think it's eight. I think it's eight. It sounds right. It sounds about right. Um, before we dive in, I really just want to say a huge thank you to everyone for the support with our last episode last week. Um, that was a really good episode. Just most honestly, this sounds silly, but it was a good one for me to kind of get off my chest. Um, because a lot of the questions that we were getting from everybody, you know, every time we'd ask, you know, hey, questions or anything like that was very centered around a lot of that stuff. And so it was really nice to just kind of get it all out there and get off my chest. Thank you to everybody for their support. Thank you to Aaron for allowing that space to be had and giving me a safe space to talk about it. Um, so again, it was very, very appreciated. Um, and yeah, the support was really fabulous. So thank you guys. Um, all right. Well, before we've got some really fun topics this week um, that are really exciting. So, but before we do that, let's just, yeah. How's the week been? think the week last time we chatted was like Wednesday yeah it's been a week since we chatted yeah it's it's been good um haven't been up to too much the weather here in Arizona has been gorgeous so just been trying to spend a lot of time outdoors yeah I am really wishing we were moving down there like now <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're going to be moving down when it's pretty hot. Yeah, we move down like right as it starts to get really warm. Um, we're going to miss like the whole spring, which is like one of the nicest times in Arizona. But it's just the way that it is. We have when I first we have a lot of work to do on the house. A lot, but we have some work to do on the house that we want to buy, that we are buying. And then just with life, it was hard to get down there. We clo- actually close on the house. Friday, and it was just not going to be possible to get down there, like, right as we closed. Um, like, life wasn't going to allow it. Um, but that's okay. I remember when I first moved down to Arizona, I moved the hottest week in Arizona history. Oh. I think it hit 117, 118 every single day. Um, I happened to be in a boot after I had a bunion surgery. Oh, good. Um, and so my mom and my friend here, bless their souls, moved all of my stuff for me in that case. I just was a support. And you were just, you were just the cheerleader. <laughs> that was very kind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember a night, so my parents moved down there um, back in 2019. That's when they, like, officially, they had already been kind of, they had already been kind of down there um for about a, six months to maybe a year or something like that um it, but I was 22 weeks pregnant and it was July so for those of you that Uh-oh. know Arizona that is a miserable time of year <laughs> especially when you're 22 <laughs> weeks pregnant and you're helping your parents yep. move into their home um yeah I think it'll be a little bit easier this time Anyway, how's your week been, Kayla? Week has been good. I'm back from Tucson. I made it home after a really long travel again. Um, took the weekend pretty easy. Just hung out with the kids and stuff and had a rest day yesterday. I, no, today's Wednesday. Rest day on Monday, um, and then just get back and enjoy. I just got done with my work first workout this morning, which was 16 by 800, um, 800 meters or half mile, depending on how you want to look at it. And yeah, that's one of your favorites. It is. Yes. I love it. Um, I love 800s, which is crazy because I hated them when I 
my coach in high school was like, you're going to do the 800s. I think you'd be a good 800 runner. And I hated it. I hated it, hated it, hated it. And now I love them. They're one of my favorites. Um, not that I'm like super fast at them, but I do like them. Though, yeah. really felt like today, I don't know about you, what I'm trying to, I was trying to like think back to when you're like, for you, when you were around that five week out from a full Ironman, if you ever complained about this, but I know for me, I just struggle to find speed when I'm kind of in that five out, five weeks out from a full Ironman distance race. And I just could not hit speed today, which is very frustrating. Well, I'm struggling to find anything right now. So <laughs> that's super frustrating, yes. but still feeling, still feeling like the body's just gonna... not responding. Yeah. So just thought about it. I think with more training for, I mean, we're in more in half mode right now than full mode. So I think the intensity is a little higher and I just don't think I've adapted no. my diet properly. Um, so just going to really focus on that in the next two and a half weeks and just get out there and race and whatever yeah. happens, happens. And just have fun. With yeah. It. I think you're training for you, you, you haven't put the volume in that you would like, but you've still put in volume. And what we mean by that is time just in general. Um, not necessarily like volume from like a hour standpoint, like overall volume, but, um, just time in general, you've still hit some of the sessions. I mean, like last week you did a 60 mile ride that went awesome. Um, if you can do a 60 mile ride, you can do a 56 mile ride. Right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. Not it. We'll see. I don't know. I will be fun. Super excited for Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm really just using yep. this. So practice. I think that's a good topic though. So, um, you were saying you feel like your diet or your nutrition or the food that you're eating isn't supporting you right now. What changes do you think you're going to make? Um, I'm going to increase my carbs as I'm working out to meet the intensity factor um, and probably just carbs afterwards, I think, because my last two training blocks have just been like long, easy sessions because I was getting ready for Ironmans my last, basically mm -hmm. the whole last year. Yeah, I had a lot longer stuff that was way more of the fat burning zone than the car burning zone. Um, but lately, like looking at all my workouts, I've been pretty high intensity. Um, and I just don't think I've been fueling during my workouts and after my workouts appropriately to feel that. I also don't think I've had enough protein. So I think that's also part of why my muscles aren't recovering. Um, so just really focusing on those two things. Yeah, I think those are really key and really important to for a lot of people to kind of pay attention to, um, protein being a very specific one, you know, getting it in, especially after your sessions, like within that 30 to 40 minutes, like that window of time is actually shorter for women to get in. And so wanting to be really focused on that when you are, we are doing a little bit higher intensity for you. Um, that's about to change, but we, what we were trying to do with you was raise that ceiling a little bit because you are so good across your diesel engine, like you can go forever, but we wanted to try to raise that ceiling a little bit for you and raise your aerobic threshold a little bit, which meant we had to be above it. Right. Yeah. Um, yep, exactly. And I want to be, I just didn't necessarily fuel and take care of myself properly to do that, but I'm still new to the sport and still a lot of growing to do. And a lot of times, I think I mentioned this last episode, I know these things, but getting myself to do it is a whole nother. Yeah. Piece. It's easier to so. tell people to do it <laughs> than it yes. is to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. But that is like something for people to think about. Like oftentimes maybe we look at a session and we think, oh, it's only an hour 15. I don't necessarily need to fuel for that. 
But if it's a really high intense, higher intensity session, maybe it's threshold work or VO2 max work, um, that takes up a lot. Your body uses glycogen very fast when you do those types of sessions. And so you still need to replenish it. And on top of that, more importantly, you need to replenish it afterwards quickly. Um, so getting in carbs and protein um, within 30 minutes and then eating actually food if you can, like a full, like a meal. doesn't necessarily have to be like a dinner style meal, right? But, you know, those kind of pieces within, you know, an hour or so afterwards um, is really important as well. Um Kind of with that note, because, you know, we want to help educate people with those changes. What are some of like your go-tos for making those changes? Is it protein shakes, smoothies, um, having meals prepped? Yeah, I think for post-workout, post-workout it's these, um, I love just fruit, protein powder, some juice Mm -hmm. or something. Quick, quick carbs, quick protein. Um, And I got away from Yep. Um, and I kind of got away from that. My blender just kind of got hidden in the bottom <laughs> shelf, but started bringing that out in the last few days, <laughs> having that again after every workout. But I think um, for me too, just feeling during, even if it's only an hour, only an hour and a half, like I need to be consuming more than just my calories and like a 90 calorie drink because it's just, it's high intensity and I haven't been doing that. And I think it's something that other people might relate to. I feel the need and I shouldn't because I'm fine where I'm at. I feel the need to be lighter. And so I want to burn calories and it's like mentally, I know I need to be consuming calories and that like losing weight should not come during a workout it should come in the ice cream and the cookies that I eat <laughs> after. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes I mentally struggle to get myself to consume calories during a workout when I want to be lighter, which I don't even necessarily need to be. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a constant battle that a lot of women have yes. is knowing that your weight is fine, but wanting mm-hmm. to be at something else. Um, yes, that is a huge huge piece um for a lot of us um i mean as i've mentioned before i'm i'm a recovered slash always recovering eating disorder person i don't know what you call that uh you know with, with anorexia and so body dysmorphia and body image has always been huge and it's huge in our sport and it's so easy now with social media too to constantly compare oh they look this way or they look that way or you know they look really lean and they're going so fast um and there is no easy solution for kind of changing that mindset honestly um besides just i think it's going to take society into grips with a woman's and man, men's, men, man, um, any person's body, a person's body is, everyone's is different and it needs to be powerful for them. And until we can kind of come to terms with that, that's, it's always going to be a little bit of a challenge. The piece that helped me was starting to really think about food as fuel and my body as powerful. That really helped me. Um, yeah, be able to let go and know that what I'm doing is creating power and power makes me fast and I want to be fast. And so whenever I do start to, cause I catch myself doing the same thing, like looking in the mirror and being like, Ooh, Kayla, especially after having kids, I am not as lean as I used to be. Like if you, I'm still very lean. I'm always, a, I'm just naturally a very lean person. It's who I am. But before I had kids, very lean, like you couldn't, there was nothing, couldn't pinch a thing. And now, well, I'm a lot softer than I used to be. And that sucks sometimes. Um, so I, I, for me, focusing on power and fuel was my, was the shift that helped me.
me. Now I don't I know that doesn't help everybody, but that was a big shift that helped me. Yeah. No, and I know like part of the reason I think I was naturally a pretty solid biker because I didn't bike until I started the sport was that I have mass power. and I have mm-hmm. strong legs. Yeah, that can push power from fueling and mm-hmm. all that. Um and I also like to think, especially when I'm training for the Ironman distance, having a little extra mm-hmm. on me is good. Like my body has more fuel yes. stored to use. Um, yeah. So reminding myself of those things always helps, but I think it's probably a battle that I always have a little bit mm-hmm. with myself. Um, but just keep reminding like to get better, I need to fuel during yeah. and after workouts and that's a big part. Yeah. I don't know. Have you read Lauren Fleshman's uh, Good for a Girl book yet? I did. Well, yes. I did it on audiobook and finished yeah, it same. in less than four um, hours. I love it. But she really <laughs> talks about that, like that concept of whenever she towed that line and was too lean for her, she really talked about how she, she didn't have the same power. She didn't have this, like, she, had, she was always good at this natural kick, that 600 meter kick. kick. And when she was too lean, she lost that because she ran, didn't have enough power, didn't have enough glycogen, didn't have enough energy. And that was really, for me, again, like that just really like, oh yeah, kid, like power, food is power, like fuel is power. Um, you know, that was a good reminder for me as well. Um, yeah. And there, again, there's no easy fix for it. Um I like to, the other piece that works, has worked well for me has always been like really thinking about what I want in the sport and what I want to accomplish. And then asking myself, well, what do you have to do in order to accomplish that? Like, what is it going to take for you? And it's like, okay, if you want to be able to train 24 hours a week, cause that's what I'm shooting, trying to do, you have to eat. There's no question about it. If you don't eat, you will not do this and then you won't succeed. And then you won't do the things that you want to do. So kind of grounding myself in my goals was, has always been, was a little bit, was helpful as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's not an easy one. No. And for me, it's like, I don't struggle eating outside working out. I just eat too much crap, which I should work on for other health reasons. But I kind of have like an all-in personality or all mm-hmm. so like cutting it completely lead to some other negative dietary mm-hmm. changes um whereas all in like I, I got a four pack of crumble cookies yesterday probably would have been fine just getting one cookie but I felt the need I to mean, try all the flavors I get now it I <laughs> <four cookies. laughs> um so finding a little more balance I'm gonna work on that it's something I had to work on for a while but I mean, let's um, face it. Why yeah. wouldn't we want all four cookies? <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good crumble week. You had cookies and cream. You had a marshmallow Ooh, lucky man. charms one, um, and a butterscotch chip. And like butterscotch cookies yeah. are one of my favorites. So I just I, I, can, I agree. <laughs> But the one thing that will actually help with that um, is when you do focus on like that immediate post-activity fueling, whether that be a, a shake or, you know, for me, I, sometimes like a core power or honestly, even like a, a good, solid, healthy bar or some yogurt and granola, like something easy and fast, that actually will help with the other pieces, the the quote unquote binging yeah, or the, I won't feel the need to binge eat. Getting eating all four, yep. right? <laughs> It helps with that because then you are more satiated and you don't need to do some of those pieces. Because yeah. I've noticed that I've definitely been binge eating more at nighttime than I have been. Which in is the your past. body's way of saying um, you, you are hungry. Yeah, but I contribute a lot of that to not fueling properly during after yeah, my workout. I would disagree with you. Anyway, yes. we get into questions. So this is a great question. I think this is an impo- is a really <laughs> important topic. And because, again, a lot of people struggle with it. Um, one last note on that. 
I always like to say that the calories you consume while you're training do not count. And they don't because you're lit. You're not actually doing anything with those calories. You are just there. You, you don't can't consume enough to replenish in that moment. You are basically just keeping yourself uh, stable. You're keeping your blood sugar stable and you are helping to not deplete, over deplete. So like if you are somebody who tracks your macros, do not track what you consume in your sessions. Or if you do, you, you put them separate or something because they don't count. They're meant to help keep you from depleting yourself too much so that you can do other things down the road. Okay. If anybody else has any questions on that, we can always do a further, if you send us questions, um, do www.whereyfeettakeyou.com slash podcast. More questions than that, we can do a better deep dive of, like we can do some research on answering those questions a little bit better or providing follow-up. Or if anybody has anything that has helped them move through some of those types of challenges, please email us those. And we will be happy to share them here um, because I know a lot of people have gone through it and um, any type of, you know, tips or tricks that people can use, you know, can help. So, okay. We have a very short rapid fire here. Um, so these are just, we'll answer them semi quickly. Um, uh, we've got four, four of them. All right. Full tri-kit or two-piece kit? Same. Full kit. Yep. With the sleeves. I like them with the sleeves. I like the sleeves. I didn't know much different. And my first one was sleeveless, but I'll always go sleeves. And two pieces, like for me, I have a long torso. I always feel like they're right up. And then I feel like my belly button's hanging out and or my back gets burnt or whatever. Um... Okay. Yeah. Next one. Long course meters or short course yards? Or something. Long yeah. course meters. I've always been long course meters my whole life. My walls have sucked. <laughs> so give me the long. Uh, yes. Yeah. Speaking of flip turns, I think I take three seconds to do a flip turn. It's a solid <laughs> two. It's a solid two seconds. Which, let me tell you, adds up over time. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. It's definitely a nice skill to have in the bank. Well, and especially what I, almost everything here is short course yards. So for those of you that are wondering, long course meters is a 50 meter swimming pool. They are long. You can tell the difference when you move to them. And short course yards is usually a 25 yard swimming pool. So as you can imagine... A lot shorter with a 50 yard, 50 meter pool. You only do one flip turn for a hundred short course. You do four. Um, I swim with these guys here in Spokane. And if we do long sets, they literally like, I get so far behind because my turns take me so long and I can't figure out how to make them faster. Part of me doesn't care, but a part of me does. Cause I like look at my thing and I'm like that 400 yards easily right that had what's for 16 turns in it at two seconds a piece that's a lot of time (laughs) well just try to think about your head follows your hand from the stroke into the wall you press your chest a little bit head goes down and then you turn your palms to the bottom of the pool and give yourself a little push with the hands while then leaving them i think my biggest issue is when i come off the wall i lift my head you got to do a well, tight streamline, yes, Kayla. So good at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that one turned into a little bit longer, but uh, next one is AM or PM workouts. So morning or afternoon slash night for your workouts. I like was the midday, which is not an option for most people. <laughs> same. same. <laughs> Um, AM with a nap, I guess. 
Yeah, I am a midday. <laughs> my best time in life is like 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. I've got like a six hour window <laughs> for life. Yeah. And then any other time is just rough. <laughs> um, okay, last yeah. one. Chocolate or pastries? Like cookies or stuff. Yeah. Pastries. Um, but I'll go ice cream ooh. over all of it. I don't really like ice cream all that much. I know. Yeah. I love it. So does Skylar. So does, Sky, so does Skylar. So much. <laughs> I've started not even allowing it in the house. <laughs> I am a child. Mark. Yeah. yeah. We have meltdowns if we have ice cream in the house because he wants to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I, we are like, no, you can't eat ice cream for <laughs> breakfast. I am sorry. We try really hard not to be like, you have to yeah. have your dinner or so you can have your ice cream to like not create like weird concepts about food, but you got to draw a line somewhere. He like always just wants to eat. And then it's yeah. like, no, you can have ice cream after dinner. Like, come on, bud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our next question, well, this isn't actually a question, but um, it kind of came it's more of a topic. Um, and it started because I pulled up the, um, Oceanside start list. So Oceanside 7.3 is in two weeks. And so the pro start list has, um, wrapped up or been released and it is a powerhouse field. It's got like all of the heavy hitters, the women that I like have always looked up to my whole life. Like you know, like want to encourage me to kind of get into the sport, but, um, they are fast. I mean, it's got, we've got like Chelsea Sodaro, um, Holly Lawrence, Paula Finlay, Jackie Herring, Kat Matthews, the list goes on and on and on <laughs> of people that are very fast and it is scary. Um, and you know, so what it, it kind of got me thinking of was like, I know, I know I talked to a lot of you. I think you and I have had this conversation before too. Like, don't look at the start list sometimes because unless it's, unless you're someone who like for me, even though that's terrifying, like it actually got me really motivated and, and excited and wanting to like work even harder. And I thought about that during my run this morning, like, okay, these fast people are there. So you got to work hard. You got to get nail your pieces and these things that doesn't happen though for a lot of people. It could terrify them. They start overthinking things. They start going, oh, well, this person uh, is really, really fast. So there's no way I'm going to get that Kona slot or no way I'm going to get the top three. So they start spiraling. That would be you. That would be me. Um, I remember Ironman yes. Texas. I looked at the start list and being a bit of the psycho that I am, I like looked at people's previous results from the people in my age group and I saw there were two girls one had gotten second at 70.3 worlds and one had gotten fifth at 70.3 worlds and I had a complete breakdown <laughs> it's like Kayla there's no way I'm gonna qualify for Kona I'm not that good they're so much better than me yada 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 uh, and even during the race it negatively affected me because when I started the run and I wasn't hitting the pace that I thought I could be at, I just let it get in my head like, oh my God, my dreams are shot. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't accomplish this. And like, I eventually got over it in the race and was like, you know what? Like, it's my first Ironman. I'm going to be happy just finishing it. And then I ended up qualifying by like 20 minutes. But, but, yeah, I, I will never look at another start list because it does not motivate yeah. me in any way. Um, being the best version of myself is really all the motivation I need. And um, so yeah. I will never look at the start I list. I often recommend not to, to people, unless you're someone who can, you know, because one of the things, you know, and I think this prompted that prompted kind of a discussion that we had is this idea, though, of if you are going to look like looking at it from like a with versus an against. And this is a campaign that um, uh, Vanessa Forrester and I don't I can't remember who she started it with, but they did it for Kona. And it's an awesome idea. And this, this concept of your competition is like with you versus against you, right? And the idea being that, yeah, you want to beat them, but you also want them to be their best self. 
because then it raises you to be your best self. And the more that you can look at it from that angle, like the more exciting it kind of, you know, becomes and kind of, and gets. And I have started trying to look, especially when I moved up into the professional field, really looking at it from that angle of width and me stepping up to this level and me racing people that are faster, better, that are probably going to hopefully not, but crush me. <laughs> um, only is going to raise my game because I am going to force myself to be faster and stronger and better. And that was, that's just such, it was such a great shift um, to think about, you know, with versus against. So mm -hmm. I definitely always encourage those pieces. Um, and then at the end of the day, you have to remember it's your race. Nobody else's. Doesn't matter who's there. You do your day. And if you race your race, what you need will come from it. And that's where you have to really ground yourself. And that's what you have to focus on your day. Nobody else's. You're the only one out there that can control it. The other people in the race have zero control and you have no clue what's going to happen for them. Right. That was what you and I talked about. Like, yeah, these, these girls are here for this race, but they haven't done an Ironman yet either. And even if they have, you don't know how they're going to bring their day. Maybe they're going to have a shit day, but maybe they're going to have an awesome day and you have no control over that. Yep. And I will say, I think if I, there was a way where I could just look at like, who's a good swimmer and who's a good biker and not have any idea on their running <laughs> ability. I do really well in that situation. Right. <laughs> because it would really motivate that front half. But I get too in my head about running mm -hmm. as it is. And I think I'll get to the point eventually where that won't be an issue, but that's still a work yeah. in progress. I mean, that's kind of um, how I feel about the swim. So right so now it's just me. I get it on my own race and learning um, and growing. And... Yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is twofold. Don't look at start lists unless you are someone that gets motivated by it. And two, two, it's your day. Like, I, and for me, like Oceanside, that's all I can do. I can just go out there and race as hard and as fast as I can. And that's all that I can do. And that's all that matters. So Awesome. Okay. So we got a question from Danielle. Um, Danielle is a where if you take you athlete and, um, she had a question for Aaron in regards to swimming. So I'm going to read this question for her. She says, my background is in gymnastics and she was just kind of comparing. She said, I think there's a lot of similarities between gymnasts and swimmers in terms of body awareness and the ability to make subtle form corrections. And she's been noticing that in her um, training, but she's, said her questions regarding the pull for the stroke or the catch, I guess, of a combo. She said, do you re recommend an S shape or a straight back after the catch? She read that one is faster and one is more efficient and want to know your thoughts. So again, we're kind of talking about that space of after the catch, do we form kind of an S or do we pull straight back? Yeah. What do you think? So I used to think S catch until I did a lot more reading about it and just looking into a lot more swim analysis of some of the best swimmers. And I actually think that a straight back catch is best um, as long as that hand is like under yeah. your shoulder. Um, I see a lot of people who are overthinkers in particularly swim way too wide um, because they're like, oh, I don't want to cross under because that's really mm -hmm. frowned upon on swimming is when your hand goes to the other side of your body. Um, but if you can get that straight back catch where your hand's pulling right under your shoulder, I think that's fine. I think I think that's the best. But if you have a little bit of a natural S catch, like I honestly think when I feel my best in the water, I have a slight yeah. S catch. That's what I have as um, well. It's good too. I think there's... Sometimes there's multiple ways to do things really, really well. Um, and I think as long as you're not swimming too wide with either the S catch or the straight back pull, it'll be fast. Um, I will say when you're thinking of the S catch and why I now lean towards the straight back catch is if you're doing an S catch, you're pushing water in a direction that's not moving you forward. Whereas if you're going straight back, all of that movement and all that energy you're exerting is yeah which is forward. what you want to go forward i have a combo <laughs> if that's even possible but my right my right arm i can <laughs> do straight back 
Um, but my left, if I do straight back, I end up when I get really tired, like way over crossing, like to the point where it's like coming underneath my chest almost. Yeah. And like, and that cause, right. That's a lot of, then causes me to get really wiggly. And I have found in order yeah. to prevent that, I do have to go a little bit wide on that left and do like a mini S like a really small S. Um, yeah. Cause otherwise, yeah. Yeah. And it, otherwise I end up getting really wiggly. Cause that when it, for me, when that left arm starts to cross, everything sense. wiggles. Like I make like a, I make an S with my body, which is not what you need to be doing. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no. And a lot of people will do the S for that reason. Um, it's just to keep themselves straight because as those muscles wear out, you don't, your body naturally does not want to mm-hmm. catch as much water, which is why you'll start crossing underneath your body and not pulling straight yeah. down um, because you're just not pulling as much water. So it feels easier, even though it's just going to cost you way more energy. And I think it's important, like for me, one thing I noticed, and I wonder what your thoughts are, is in order to do that for me, I found in order to do that straight back, I really have to focus on that high elbow catch. Otherwise, I do not, and I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but yeah. otherwise, I cannot get myself to go straight under. I, like, I do like an out. Like, I end up going out. And that could just be, be sucking and swimming, but. Yeah, you got to get that high elbow. Um, got to get that high elbow. Got to get that lat engagement throughout the stroke. Um, and use your lats to really get that high elbow catch and accelerate through past your hip. For me, I have to think about, and this is something I really struggle with. Um, Cause I don't, I've always found like I push, push water down. Obviously that doesn't do anything for me. Like I catch mm-hmm. and like push it down and then I try to go, I'm going nowhere, <laughs> nowhere. But when I focus on like thinking about like the idea of like a, my fist or my a ball underneath my armpit, that has helped to get that elbow up a little bit. Um, Yeah, one of my favorite things I like to do for that feeling is holding the paddle at the top instead of putting your thumb in. Um, If you hold it at the top, it really forces you to get that elbow up instead of pushing down. That's a good drill. Or even just something, you don't even necessarily have to use that as drill. Like if you're doing paddle work or paddle and buoy work, you can just switch the, instead of like, instead of sticking the paddle with your thumb through grip it at the top with your fingers and have it kind of rest in your palm of your hand. Um, awesome. Okay. So we thank you, Danielle, for that question. I think that was a great one. Um, these swim questions are always good, especially, you know, for me too, because swimming is my weakness here. Um, okay. Thoughts on swim skins. Are they worth it? And then also how do you mentally work through the idea of wearing having to wear a swim skin versus a wetsuit. So a lot of times what we find as coaches is that athletes will panic when they can't wear their wetsuit and have to wear a swim skin. Um, so one, do we think that they are worth having? I can already tell you my answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. hundred um, percent. Def- <laughs> and I'm a solid swimmer. Yeah. I'd still say. They're faster. They're, they're just, they're, they are faster. They do provide a little bit of stability, but the material on top of that is meant for helping to, um, you know, be less resistant in the water. Like if you think about it, a tri kit is got pockets in it and it's just not, it's not necessarily meant to be fast in the water. Um, and so they're, they are faster. And then how do you mentally work through, when it's like, okay, it's a swim skin wet day versus a wetsuit day. What would you recommend? Um, well, I tell people, but. Know that you've trained. You probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know that you've trained and that you've done probably most of your swim training without a mm-hmm. wetsuit. So you can 100% get what through the saying. swim without a wetsuit. I personally hope for non-wet yes. water um, because I benefit more from it. So I'll let Kayla take the rest. I know all of my swimmers that I coach, my ex-swimmers are like, yeah, I love it when it's non-wetsuit or if I, it's warm enough where I can only wear my sleeveless. <laughs> but yeah, I really think 
it's it, it it's one of those where I think you just really have to let that go um, and just be like, it's I, I've spent my entire training in a pool where I don't wear a wetsuit, so I know that I can swim without one. It's no different. I just look. I was thinking it's no different than I'm swimming in a pool, and. And then I always just tell myself, like, there is still some benefit that I'm getting from the swim skin and um, everybody else isn't wearing one. And I just, I really just pretend I'm swimming in a pool and that is kind of where we, we focus. Um, so it's becomes really you just choosing to let go of it and know that a swim skin is fast and a wetsuit isn't necessary. I don't know that a wetsuit is necessarily faster, honestly. Um, I've actually swam faster. <laughs> my, my fastest swims have been without a wetsuit. Um, and I'm not a good, I am a self-taught adult onset swimmer. Swimming is not my strength. And my fastest swims have been, um, without a wetsuit. Um, Okay. Um, oh, one last thought on that. What do you think is better to have a swim skin with sleeved or the ones with no sleeves? Do you have a preference? I know what I prefer, but. Um, I have sleeveless. I'm thinking I'm 95% sure I have a sleeveless <laughs> swim skin. And that's just because I don't like mm -hmm. my shoulders being restricted. Um, I like to be free. And if the sleeves of my tri-kit add a little drag, that's fine. Because it's worth it for me to have the extra shoulder mobility and my normal yeah. feel of the water in my arms. Yeah. I like the sleeve. I like the sleeved ones. Because I feel like it gives me a little bit of support. Like, I think it's totally mental, though. Like, I really think it's 100% mental that it does that. And so at that point, I think it really is just one, can you, what, which one can you afford to buy? Cause this non-sleeve tend to be cheaper and two, what do you prefer? And whichever you're more comfortable in, right? Like we want, we talk about this a lot in like with biking and running and, and the, it often, more often, if you're comfortable, then that's where you're going to be better because you're going to be more confident. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. Next question is a really fun one. Um, or a good one. We've got a lot of athletes have, uh, racing is coming soon. Woohoo! It's about time. Um, so we've got, you know, Oceanside coming up soon, but, um, the, there have been some full Ironmans in other parts of the continent, but in the U S we are starting that off with Ironman Texas. Um, at the end of April is the first one, and there was some kind of question. I've had some questions from athletes on personal needs bags. What are they? What do you do with them? What do you put in them? So, um, for those wondering, a personal needs bag is an extra bag <laughs> um, that you have on the bike and the run in a full distance Ironman. That usually on the bike, I think it's usually between like mile fifty and like seventy five. I usually think it's usually closer to like mile 60 is usually where they're located on the run. It's usually around like 13 to 15, 16, 18 range. Um, so kind of around that halfway mark. And it is a bag where you can put extra stuff in it um, that you can, you grab and you can refuel and refill um, nutrition, socks, treats, etc. Um, one thing to note with that bag is it's a bag that you do not get back. So whatever you put in that bag, you have to be willing to, um, uh, get rid of. Um, it's a really great opportunity to put in extra nutrition because it's hard to carry enough in a full Ironman. Maybe something that will like kind of motivate you like a treat or a snack. Um, if you are someone who's going to be running late into the night, it's a good time frame to put, you know, dry socks, a shirt that you can put over in case it gets cooler, a light if you feel you need one, um, those kind of things. So um, it's really just a space for extra stuff. Not everybody uses them, but they are really helpful. Um, so, Aaron, did you, you have you did you use them in your? 
I did not at Texas because it was my first one and I didn't want to worry about anything extra and that stressed mm -hmm. me out at the time. But at Kona, I did use it and I'm really glad I did use it. Um, in the bike special needs bag, I had two extra water bottles of calories and um, some extra gels. And I actually ended up did, I took a gel as I grabbed my special needs bag and threw out both my old bottles and took the two new ones with me. Um, and then in my run special needs bag, I had an extra handheld flask that was filled with my nutrition um, that I could grab along with an extra gel. And the gels I like tend to be bigger. So it was nice that I yeah. have to run with it on me the whole time. Um, the other thing I have in there that's a bit different, but it's just for my peace of mind, is I do throw an extra buterol in my run special needs bag, um, just in case I'm out on course and have an emergency. And it would be faster for someone to get to my run special needs bag than to try and find yeah. a buterol elsewhere. That is a really, course. really good idea. Um, yeah, that's a really good idea. And that's the kind of stuff that's good to put in there. You know, um, some people sometimes put Advil or Ibuprofen or Imodium if they're having serious GI issues. Um, so, you know, or um, if you have someone who gets really bad blisters, like sticking some Band-Aids in there. Um, it's, it's one of those where it's better to take the time, right? Because, like, stopping to pick that stuff up, how, it didn't take you very long. No, and I remember at Texas on the bike course, I had carried extra powder with me, and instead of using my special needs bag, I had pulled off on the side of the road to grab a water bottle mm -hmm. from the aid station, pour the water bottle in, pour the yeah, powder in. It was probably in faster to grab the... At that point, I was like, I could have just <laughs> yeah. used my special bag. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and in those situations, it's like I said, it's just, it's just, you're better off stopping and taking one, two, even five minutes to ensure that you have those things instead of running out or being miserable and being stuck to walking or bonking or falling apart and all of a sudden you're losing 30, 40, 50 an hour, right? So taking one to five minutes can save, you know, a lot of time over the race. Um, I just started, I actually never used them up until this year. I, and I think it's because I'm now taking and like noting that my body needs more calories. Um, so I grab a bottle on the bike and I don't even stop. I just grab the bottle, the bag and the bottle, and then I dump. Um, and then on the run, I had it full with um, extra gels and stuff. Dr. Nutrition, because I can't, I cannot take Martin gels. Ugh. Not. I, I learned that the hard way in Kona. In Kona. <laughs> yes, my stomach was not happy with those. And they are hard for me to eat. It's like eating a booger. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> I, I don't use them. Yeah. Um, and so I just use those stuff, in personal needs. I know what I use. You hate. Actually, you actually introduced me to the gels I used because you hated them. But you gave them to me when I was bonking one time. I was like, wait, I can't. Oh, those were nasty. Yeah, no, I did not like those. I forget the name, but oh. No, they're the Everett yeah. cycling ones. Yes, they're ever it. I really like them. They are thinner. They're thinner, so I can actually swallow it and don't mm -hmm. feel like I have. Yeah, that is true. That's why I bought them. It's because I like was like, oh, these yeah. are thinner and it'll be easy to get down. Oh, I have a hard time with that. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love them still. Perfect. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, you mentioned and this kind of segues into our next topic here, really quick is. You kind of mentioned um, that one of the things you put into your run personal needs bag is a, you know, an old, either an older or a leftover one you don't care about, a buterol inhaler. Um, and we actually got a lot of questions off our Lost podcast um, for you, Aaron, and kind of how you kind of manage your asthma, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, the racing and stuff like that. There's um, people are just kind of like, what kind of tricks or tips or anything you recommend um, for helping it because a lot of athletes asthma is a big one that a lot of people deal with so um if you maybe want to talk us through just briefly how you manage it what's helped for you things you do to help improve it or whatever you want to share with it I guess yeah um 
done a few things. Um, I've had asthma pretty bad my whole life. Um, so I've had time to kind of figure it out. But I went to breathing therapy, I think, for two years where I just learned how to do the breathing mechanics properly because I have asthma partnered with vocal cord dysfunction. So one's more the breathing mm-hmm. in, one's more the breathing out. Um, so just learning how to take a proper breath was pretty big. Um, the other thing that I thought was really helpful that wasn't medication related was learning how to control mm-hmm. my anxiety around it. Um, I think it's not talked about a lot, but I think it's kind of a big thing that anxiety makes your asthma worse um, because anxiety can cause your tight to chest to tighten and stuff. Um, So just learning how to recognize the anxiety and bring that down so your chest can start to relax Mm -hmm. more. Um, But then in terms of doctor stuff, um, I've been going to my asthma doctor since I was eight years old. So he has all my test history. I try and get in there, even though he's still in Chicago, I try and get in there to do um, breathing function tests twice a year, um, which just measures, I don't even know what it, I'm not a scientist, (laughs) but um, looks at a different, Mm -hmm. bunch of different lung functions um, and compares it to how I've been historically. Um, Sometimes I go in and those are way down. So he starts me on like a longer term inhaler, again, that I do for a couple of months give or take, um, until I can have normal lung function again. Um, I take a long-term asthma medication every day, just singular, which is also an allergy medication. Um, but I think for me, it's learning to what sparks my asthma. So if I get my heart rate really, really high, and then I drop it really rapidly, I'll start coughing, mm-hmm. um, and being really short of breath. So just being really aware of that. So knowing like if there's a hill sprint, it's not great for me. Or if there's like a short hill in a race, like it's not the best idea for me just to like charge Mm -hmm. up it and then be like, okay, I can like rest when I get off of it. I'm better like just keeping a steady effort and not letting my heart rate go super high where it will just drop right afterwards. Um, And just being aware of that. Um, Sorry. No, that's awesome. uh, The other thing is... (laughs) Um, it's just being aware of air quality, um, especially when I was living in Stockton, um, that's kind of in the Valley of California. So we'd get a lot of mm-hmm. smoke sometimes, um, and being aware of when the smoke's bad and trying to stay inside as much, but even in Phoenix, we'll get pollution. Yeah. Um, so if the pollution are really bad, just doing my workouts, indoors that day and trying to limit my exposure to yeah. toxins. I think one of the cool things that you did kind of briefly mention was just, you know, thinking about managing your anxiety around that, all of it, right? Because it does, it's, that's a lot of, there's a lot of anxiety that's, yeah. that's triggered with that because it's, it's scary and it's, it's something again, that you should naturally be okay, easy to do and it's hard. And when we can't breathe, right, then our fight or flight response instantly kicks in and a whole bunch of other issues come to play. Um, what have you found that has helped you the most with kind of managing that a little bit? Um, just knowing that I'm going to be all right. Like I have a phone on me in my like, training workouts or on a race course. I'm always by people. Um, who can help me if I need emergency services, but also know like it will probably mm-hmm. be okay. Yeah. Uh, or it most likely will be almost okay. kind of trusting um, yourself that you're gonna get. But a lot of it, it is just kind of thing. Yeah. Like I just need to stop. Like the time will be what the time is, but my breathing mm-hmm. comes first. Um, but also just doing mindset work with you um just taking anxiety out of a lot of other factors Mm -hmm. of racing um so I'm not as wound up before I even start I think has been really helpful almost removing kind of the external pressures um I know not even related necessarily to breathing but well racing and life in general can help manage that for you a little bit yeah and I looked back 
on my swimming when I had some of my worst asthma attacks. Um, and it was usually during a set that I felt pressured to do mm-hmm. really well on. Um, so I think that just got me already kind of wound up and then it would be a hard set usually. So those two things partnered together, um, would make it a lot worse. So I've just worked a lot on taking the pressure out of mm-hmm. my, off myself. And I think that's helped a lot with me managing it through yeah. triathlon. Yeah, I can believe that. I mean, because when we have, you know, whether it's, in, whether we want to call it anxiety or nerves or um, uncertainty or stress related to, you know, outside pieces, we are activating our, our fight or flight response. And that response instantly, our, our body is working towards running away from a bear, right? Like that's what it's trying to do. And so it's going to spike your heart rate. It is going to instantly increase your, your respiration rate. And that's going to feel hypoxic, which then makes us feel like we're drowning. Um, and all Mm -hmm. of those things do not help when you already kind of, you know, struggle a little bit with, you know, breathing in general. Um, have you do have, do you find that even sometimes focusing on grounding yourself in breathing a little bit, whether that be taking deep breaths to help relax you or yeah. changing your breathing pattern in a session, does that ever help? Definitely, I think in a session, if I feel like I'm having before I've gone into yeah. like right, I'm exactly. actually having an asthma attack. I'm learning to recognize it and just taking deep breaths through my nose and long exhales through my mouth or even um, the Garmin watch has like a breathing activity Mm -hmm. where it's like three seconds in hold three seconds out hold and sometimes I'll just do that if I'm feeling like I'm having a hard time breathing just to kind of relax me and get me in a constant breathing state instead of hyperventilating. Well and I think that's just super important because um, right that's um what that's doing is that's activating your parasympathetic nervous response, which is going to relax you. That's going to calm that sympathetic nervous response that's, that, that's starting to panic. And that is going to, it's going to calm your nervous system. It's going to calm your respiration system. It's going to calm your heart rate. It's going to, it's going to calm all those pieces down and put you into a relaxed state, which will help to prevent it's not necessarily going to prevent an asthma attack that's not i don't think either one of us are saying that um but it can help you to manage it yeah from a lot of from a lot of the states Um, yes and so i think i'm a big fan of like using your breathing to ground you in a lot of things um it releases pressure it like i said it's known to help um uh, activate that parasympathetic nervous response, which then allows us to calm that fight or flight response down. Um, and I mean, I use it, I use it in swimming. Um, I use it in, in biking and run like the very first, like 10 to 15 miles of the bike. That's what I focus on breathing to I use it to go that's to sleep awesome. at night. I mean, you should, that's, that's an awesome way to use it. And that's when you should, that's like a great time to use it. Um, <laughs> yeah it just helps mm-hmm. relax me yeah it's gonna calm your mind yeah that's awesome that's a great time to use it yeah well cool yeah i mean this is a bit no go for it yeah oh i was gonna say this might be oversharing a little bit but i have been diagnosed with anxiety i guess um have gotten a lot under control but i used to have to take um, medication before bed to sleep every night because I couldn't turn my mind off. Um, but in the past few months, I've really turned to breathing and have been able to go to sleep without it. So I think there's a lot of benefits to breathing techniques and grounding yourself yeah. with breathing. Oh, I love that. I don't think I think that's often. I think a lot of people will be happy to hear that because, especially in the life that we live nowadays, where it's everything is go, 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 go. We've got screens, we've got meetings, we've got, you're supposed to do everything and it's all constant like noise and overstimulation. 
taking that time, especially before bed, to wind down can be a game changer for so many things. It can help you sleep better. It'll make you more productive the next day. Maybe you won't wake up as tired. You might, you, maybe you'll get more sleep. Maybe, maybe you won't even necessarily get more sleep, but you'll get a better sleep in that space, which then is going to help you recover. Right? There's just so many long-term benefits for it. So, you know, a lot of times when I work with athletes or, or clients in, in their mental performance and they're having a really hard time with some of these pieces, one of the things we actually do is create a bedtime routine where we say we work backwards from, okay, well, what time do you want to be asleep? Well, okay, then for the half hour before you need to do breathing and actually these breathing exercises and, or this journaling or this, this piece. And then an hour before when you turn screens off, we need to do something that helps calm you down, get you into that parasympathetic nervous response where you're in a relaxed state and like focusing on actually creating that type of space. And at first people always are like, that just seems so silly. Like we're, we're talking mental performance here and you want to create a bedtime routine. Well, no, it's super powerful. <laughs> yeah. It's so powerful. I mean, there's a reason that they, so a reason that that's what they teach kids when they're trying to get them to sleep. I haven't figured out how to do it for my children. Cause they don't like to sleep at night, but, <laughs> but I can help you with it. If you're an adult, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if it's a child under the age of like five, I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. We're having major 18 months of sleep and separation anxiety type stuff with regression with, with Baylor. And so, he will only fall asleep if he's like laying on top of me. And it takes like 45 minutes. And it's just been, it's been a little bit rough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially ever since I was gone for that week. And ever since then, he's been really all over needing to be like on top of, on top of yeah. me. And if I leave the room, it's just this like uncontrollable crying and screaming and mama 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 that like just splinters your heart into a million pieces and i cannot do the scream it out method cry it out method i hate it i don't agree with it it like it like physically makes me sick to do it i can't do it and so then i end up having to go back in there and Brandon doesn't agree with me. We are very much on separate sides of the world with this thought process. But... <laughs> it's all right. I get it. It's so hard. He literally is just standing there. And so I'm watching yeah. him on the monitor and he's standing there. And he's, and he's just, just crying. Like hyperventilating crying for mom. And like, how, how, how? I can't sit here and not listen and listen to not like go do something about that. He's so so cute. He's getting so big. We had his wellness check yesterday, and he is so tall. He's almost three feet tall already. And he's 18 months, 19 months. Wow. He's like, the doctor walked in with his little chart, and she looked at him, and she goes, well, it says here he's the 98-ish percentile for height. And I wasn't quite sure that was correct. But I look at him, and I go, yep. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> he's so tall. He's getting yeah. so big. I'm just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, <coughs> awesome. Well, those were all of our questions um, that we really have time for today. We've got some more for next week, but anybody has any questions they want us to go over to answer topics they want us to discuss, please email us at www. Whereifetakeyou.com slash podcast. Um, you can go there. You can submit your question. Um, um, or you can always reach out to us, either of us on Instagram. Um, we we love your questions. They allow, give us, you know, stuff to talk about. Um, and, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we will we'll see you next week. Oh, no, not, I was going to say next week will be coming from Oceanside. Thanks for listening, but everybody. not next week. We won't be coming from, not next week. The week no. after. Be a pre race. I know. No, it is. Woo! I fly down on the 29th.
which is like 10 days-ish from now, two weeks from now. I have not decided. What I'm Are you driving? Yet. Yeah. I'm driving and staying nice. with a friend. Perfect. So my old PT is nice enough to let me stay That's in her bedroom. So going to take it. Yeah. Well, yeah. we might, we might, well, we might be doing like a fun, I might see about how we can like do like a fun pre-race type show for everybody so stay tuned on that Aaron and I will work that out what we want that to look like but we will (laughs) definitely be sharing all things Oceanside when it comes around time for it so all right thanks everybody thanks guys